Well, as many of you have maybe noticed, a lot of our ladies are not here this morning. We have over a hundred of our women on a retreat up in the hill country, and uh, I saw a little girl this morning going into the children's building. She had a pigtail coming out here and one out the top of her head. Uh, so I'm sure there was some extra prayer this morning as uh, dads were getting kids ready to come out the door. So it's appropriate we're talking about prayer this morning. We're going to be looking in Luke chapter 18. Uh, and here in Luke chapter 18, it's the parable of the persistent widow. And you can see up on the screen that I've titled my sermon, Push. And it doesn't mean that we're to be pushy with God. Rather, it stands for pray until something happens. Pray until something happens. I think when it comes to prayer, most of us here have probably at some point in our life become discouraged. We've uh, prayed for something, and after a period of time, we wonder, is it really doing any good? And we think about abandoning prayer and uh, just whether it's doubt or discouragement. But as we're going to see today in Luke chapter 18, God tells us to continue, to persist, to persevere in prayer. Luke 18, 1 verses 1 through 8 tell us, Now he was telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart, saying in a certain city there was a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. There was a widow in that city, and she kept coming to him, saying, Give me legal protection from my opponent. For a while he was unwilling. And afterward he said to himself, Even though I do not fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection. Otherwise, by continually coming, she will wear me out. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now will not God bring about justice for his elect who cry out to him day and night? And will he delay long over them? I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Now, as we're reading this, Jesus gives us the application of the parable right up front. Because what he says, if you're using the New International Version, it says they should always pray and not give up. Other translations say they ought to pray. The Greek word that is used here is actually much stronger than either of those. It it is literally translated as we must pray. We must pray. And when we pray, it says we're not to lose heart. The King James says we're not to faint. What the word literally means is we're not to fear. It means not to fear. Some of you here have had the experience where you felt faint. I did a wedding just a few weeks ago, and as much as I warned them not to lock their knees or do other things periodically, somebody, oh, I see the bride and groom over here. It was uh, one of their, <laughs> one of their uh, brothers fainted in the wedding, and I'm thankful that Daniel's okay, I've heard, but uh, he, went, he went down. And some of you here have had that experience of fainting. You have uh, started to, to lose uh, your, your, the ability to stand and you fall. And when it tells us here not to faint, I think sometimes as believers we've experienced this. We've grown weak. Our faith starts to grow weak and, and we cease coming to God. We kind of collapse in terms of talking to him. As we talk about losing hope, uh, most of us here can think of a time maybe where we've lost hope. Now, this is a, a small example in terms of prayer, but if you've ever tried to lose weight or the reverse tried to gain muscles by working out, uh, you know that you, know, you, can, you can start it, you have great intentions, but over time you become discouraged because you don't see immediate results. But for those who persevere, they begin to see some progress. 
And as we talk about persevering in prayer, I think one of the problems is we live in a day and age where we have a microwave mentality. And by a microwave mentality, I mean we're used to getting whatever we want instantaneously. You can order something online and it shows up the next day. You can take your clothing in and they have one hour dry cleaning. If you're hungry, you can pop something in the microwave and literally in seconds or minutes, uh, you're able to eat. And so many see prayer as God is this genie in a lamp. And we, we rub it, we pronounce those magic words in Jesus' name. And he pops out and says, what's your wish? What's your command? And he grants us whatever it is we're asking for. But that's a faulty view of both prayer and who God is. As we look at this parable, notice that Jesus paints a picture for us of who God is, and he does it in a contrast. He says there is an unrighteous judge. That's not who God is. And then he presents God as being this righteous judge and this this loving father. But starting with the unrighteous judge, he says in verse 2, in a certain city there was a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. Now, reading that, I take this to mean he's not talking about the religious leaders who were there. You'll remember that the religious leaders of the day were the scribes or the lawyers. There was a court called the Sanhedrin. But they at least had a a verbal acknowledgement of who God was. This one doesn't even respect or fear who God is. And so I think what we're dealing with here is one of the Roman appointees. Rome was in power in that day, and they had judges who would literally buy the bench And by doing so, they would pay an enormous sum of money, but then they could make their money back by using the court as a cash cow. People would come into the court, they would receive bribes, and they would dispense, quote, justice according to who paid them uh, for their favorable ruling. So when we're told that there's this unrighteous judge and in walks a widow, the people hearing this parable immediately knew this lady didn't stand a chance because widows were poor. They hardly had any money at all. They sustained themselves off the uh, generosity of others. They would glean in fields, and and people would would care for them. And so as she walks into the courtroom, the judge immediately looks at her and says, I'm not going to get a penny from this lady. It's a waste of my time. So he says, next, and he just pushes her out the door. Well, she comes back the next day. And again, the judge looks at her, and he says, next. And she had no hope of a hearing because, again, remember, in the first century context, women had no rights. You had to have a man to represent you in court. And so as a widow, she doesn't have a husband. There's no son mentioned here. So this lady does not stand a chance of ever having her hearing before this judge. Now, to to counter this, what it tells us here is that she continues to show up. She doesn't give up. When we read she was wearing him out, the Greek word used here literally means she gave him a black eye. Now, she didn't whack him with a cane. Uh, I don't think she did, at least. Uh, I think what she was doing was she became his shadow. Every day, there she was, sitting on the front row of the court. When he would leave court, she was following him down the street. When he got home, he'd look out the window. She's standing there in the front yard. As he went to sit down and eat a meal, she was peering in the window, staring at him. And this guy finally says, you know, she is wearing me out. The only way I can get rid of this lady is to finally just hear her case. He doesn't care about justice. He just wants peace. Now, there are parents here who know exactly what this strategy looks like, right? Right? You've had those kids who continue to nag and follow you and and, and just pester you to the point where you're just like, okay, listen. 
Now, if you're thinking of that example or what we're reading here and thinking, okay, so the strategy to successful prayer is just to uh, wear God out by continually coming to him over and over and over. As we talked about last week, uh, that's not going to work. Jesus warned us, as we saw in Matthew 6, 7, and when you are praying, he says, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. And in James chapter 4, as it's talking about prayer, he tells us you do not have because you do not ask. That's one problem. Sometimes we just don't even ask God. But then he goes on to tell us in James 4, 3, and you do not have because you ask with the wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. So sometimes the reason our prayers go unanswered is because we're asking for the wrong things and with the wrong motives. So when it comes to what prayer is, what exactly is it? Well, what it is is not about getting what we want. Prayer is about getting done on earth what God wants. E. Stanley Jones illustrates it this way. He says, imagine you're in a boat and you're out near the shore. And he says, if you throw out a boat hook, an anchor, and you throw it to the shore and it takes hold of the land. And he says, you begin to pull on the rope. He says, are you pulling the shore to the boat or are you pulling the boat to the shore? And When it comes to prayer, as we throw out a boat hook, so to speak, we're not pulling God to our will. What it's doing is it's pulling us to his. Prayer should be about moving us to where God wants us, to getting the things done on earth as it is in heaven. As you think about how you're praying, is is that what you're doing? Are you asking God to draw you, to put you in the place where he wants you to be in order to do his will? You know, as we're looking at this parable, remember the chapter right before it in chapter 17, uh, Jesus had been talking about the coming kingdom of God. And as Jesus is telling this parable, he's encouraging his followers to be faithful and to be at work for the kingdom principles. Luke talked about this earlier in chapter 11. You remember in Luke 11, when we looked at that passage in our series, Jesus was giving us what we call the Our Father, the Lord's Prayer. And he said, you begin based on your relationship. We call God Daddy, Father, our Father in heaven. And he said, as you're you're praying, what did he say? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so it was pulling us to God's will. We're to be praying about what God desires for us to do. And right after that, he told another parable that we looked at in Luke 11, 5. And in that parable, it was also about persevering in prayer. And you remember it was a friend who came and started knocking on the door at midnight and said, I need, I need some food for my company who's come. And this parable in Luke eleven eight says, I tell you that even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. Jesus goes on to say in verses 9 through 13 of Luke 11, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be open. And then he gives the same contrast that we're looking at today in Luke chapter 18, because he says, Now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of fish, will he? Or if he asks for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So what we're told here is God is good in both places. 
And God, based on the relationship with him, is how he responds. As you look at Luke 18, verses 6 or 8, tell us, And the Lord said, Hear, um, hear what the unrighteous judge said. Will not God bring about justice for who? Who is it that he's going to bring about justice for? It says his elect. His elect are those who have come to faith in Christ, those who have been chosen and called and have come to him. It says his elect who cry out to him day and night, and he will not delay long over them. I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? So the contrast that Luke sets up for us is this. He says there's this unrighteous judge, this earthly person. And he says, in contrast, we have a righteous judge who is called God in heaven. And he says, he's our loving father. And what he says is, there's another contrast because the widow was a stranger, but you and I as believers, we're children of God. It's why Jesus said in Luke 11, when you pray, say, Father, Daddy, Abba. Come to God based on the relationship. We come as children of God. In Luke eleven 13, we're told, if we being evil can give good things to our kids, how much more can God who is good give good things to us? As sons and daughters of God, he says he desires to give good things to us. And lastly, when the widow came, we see she was alone in court. But the Bible tells us we as believers are not alone. Jesus is our advocate. Jesus is our high priest. We just sang a song, we'll never walk alone. And we're not alone. 1 John 2, 1 tells us Jesus is our advocate, a word that literally means our attorney. He's our representative in court. And much more than that, Hebrews chapter 2, verses 17 through 18 says he's our high priest. And in terms of being our advocate, he's not just our attorney, but he's our atonement. He's the one who paid the penalty of death for our sins. He's the one who covered the cost. The wages of sin is death. It's why he went to the cross. It's why he died. He died to be the payment. A big word that is used, a legal word, is propitiation. It literally means to settle the account, to pay the penalty due. And beyond the legal requirement, it says it removes the wrath. It's why we become children adopted into his family. As you think about these contrasting things, if if you have this widow who persists and could move an unrighteous judge to act, how much more can we as children coming to a righteous judge and a loving daddy move our father to act when we pray? Now, again, one of the big problems in prayer is we're unwilling to persist in our prayers. As we read verse 8, you, you may say, well, why do we have to do that? Because it says he will bring about justice for them Quickly. Now, what does that word quickly mean? Well, it's translated as suddenly. It has the idea of happening all at once instead of gradually. It's, it's a relative term because it, it talks about the speed at which something happens. And, and we see things differently based upon your perspective. If a couple came to you and said, hey, we're engaged. And you go, oh, that's great. But you may be thinking internally, wow, that happened fast. Didn't you guys just meet like a few weeks ago. And for some, that would be, it happened quickly. Others, if it was six months ago that they met and began dating, would say, well, that's still kind of fast. And, and some who are parents would say, even if it's been two or three years, well, that's happening kind of quickly. Are you sure? Is this the right person for you? And so when we're talking in terms of the speed of things, it's, it's relative. 
especially in terms of how it relates to God. The Bible defines God's time this way. Second Peter 3.8 tells us, But do, do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like one day. Sometimes people will say to me, Well, Roger, Jesus said he's coming quickly. It's been 2,000 years since he walked the earth. Well, that means Jesus has been gone two days. Two days in terms of God's timeline. Uh, if you, we use this, this timeline for God, 41 years is like an hour to God. Six to eight months would be a minute. And three and a half days is a split second. So as you think in terms of how long you've been praying for something, if it seems really long, compare it to that. Now, when it comes to prayer, this is a page out of a, a journal uh, that I kept in college. I had this, this book, and whenever I had a, a prayer request given to me or there was something I wanted to pray for, I would go in and I would write in this book. And when I would have my quiet times, what I would do is I would start at the top line, and I would go down and I would pray for each person. And you see at the very beginning there, uh, you maybe have heard in the past about having a top 10 list of somebody coming to Christ. Well, I took that in college, and God was very faithful, and everybody on my top 10 list came to faith in Christ. Uh, and so you see those, those names there, and some of them are highlighted. And the reason they're highlighted is because what would happen is, is I would go down, I'd, I'd go through my journal, and when I got to the end of the last entry, I was continually adding things, I would then go back to page one, and I would go back through and pray. Now, if God answered a prayer, I would go back and I would highlight it. And I did that for a couple of reasons. One, I wanted to remember to thank God for answered prayer. So many times we ask and we never say thank you to God for what he's done. And so I would highlight it, and then you'd see to the right I would add a prayer like grow, grow in their faith. As people came to know the Lord, I wanted them to then walk with the Lord and grow in their, their walk with him. The other reason I did that is because there were times that I became discouraged in prayer. There was a dry spell where it seemed like nothing was being answered. I would forget that God had been faithful in the past. And as I would go through my journal and I'd see page after page of highlighted answers, it reminded me of just how much God would answer prayer. Now, on this page, you see two names highlighted there, uh, Dave Morgan and Gail Morgan. Those are actually my uh, father-in-law and mother-in-law. But from the time below it, you see January of 1987, they were not yet my in-laws. I was dating a wonderful young lady by the name of Kim. That's why you see that nice little heart over the eye there. <laughs> Isn't that cute? Uh, so anyway, that was Kim, and she's right here on the front row. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, that was her mom and dad. And I thought that they were believers initially, but we came to find out they really didn't have a personal relationship with the Lord. So I began to pray for her parents to come to faith. Uh, and Kim's dad came to faith 21 years after I began praying for him. 21 years. He was in his late 70s when he actually became a believer in Jesus Christ. And then you see my dad mentioned there on the bottom. And you've heard me tell the story about my upbringing with my father. He was a wife and child abuser, very severe abuse. I was kicked out of the house at the age of 16 because I was winning most of the fights, protecting my five siblings and my mom uh, from the abuse of my father. So I hated my dad. And God used that hard time in my life. That's when I actually became a Christian. I had been raised Catholic. I had a good foundation 
of who Jesus was and who God was, but I did not have a personal relationship with the Lord. But when I got kicked out, I came to faith, a personal, real, living relationship with Jesus Christ as my Savior. And it was when I was 19 years old, three years after coming to faith, that God moved me to the point of saying, you need to forgive your dad. And I wrestled with God during that period of time from 16 to 19. And when I was 19, I went back and found my father. I was in college at UT Austin. I drove back to Dallas. I found my dad, shared my faith with him. That was the first time when I was 19 years old. And it was 30 years later that my dad actually became a believer. On another time that I was sharing my faith with him, my dad came to know the Lord four years before he died. And so I prayed for 21 years for my father-in-law to come to faith. I prayed for 30 years for my own father to come to faith. As you think in terms of what you've been praying for, how long? How long have you been praying? Are you persevering in prayer? There's a great missionary prayer warrior by the name of George Mueller. And George Mueller is a man who recorded more than 50,000 answers to his prayers. And as people have gone back and looked through Mueller's prayer journal, one of the things that they found is that there were two men that he prayed for to come to Christ. If you think 21 years and 30 years is a long time, George prayed for 60 years for these two men to come to faith. And one of them came to know the Lord shortly before Mueller died, and the other one came to know the Lord after his death. So he never saw that answer to prayer while he was here on earth. I share those things because just because there is a delay in your prayers being answered, it doesn't mean God has denied it. A delay does not mean he's denied it. Now, if... If God's word is very clear that what you're asking for is not within his will, you can just scratch that off the list. Just stop. Because God's not going to be moved to counter what he's already revealed in his word. But in terms of praying for somebody to come to know the Lord, the Bible says God desires that none should perish, but that all should come to know him. Now, I believe in predestination and election, but what we don't know as Christians is who the elect really are. I love what D.L. Moody said once, pray for the elect and then some. You don't know who they are. I don't either. So I pray for everybody as if they are the elect. And it motivates me to share the gospel, knowing there are people out there who will come to faith. And so as you think in terms of what you're praying for, a delay is not a denial. Just because God has not yet said yes to something, it may be not yet. He's not saying no. He's just saying not yet. We see an example of that in Revelation chapter 6. In Revelation 6, 9 through 10, it says, When the Lamb, this is Jesus in heaven, broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. And they cried out with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And there was given to each of them a white robe, And they were told that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed, even as they had been, would be completed also. So they're crying out for justice. Have you ever prayed prayers of justice and you say, God, why are you silent? Why haven't you answered these things? And what the scriptures tell us is there is a time coming when all the prayers for justice 
will be fulfilled? The answer is sometimes not yet. It's according to God's timing. It's according to God's plan. The the scriptures describe the golden bowls that are going to be poured out during the tribulation, the time of judgment. And those are the prayers the scriptures tell us that have been stored up through all time. And so God will answer all the righteous prayers, but within his time. Sometimes our request has been granted, but we, we may just not yet be able to see it. That, happens in, that happened in Daniel chapter 10. There Daniel had been praying for something, and it says the angel Gabriel was dispatched to give Daniel his answer. But when he eventually comes and he tells Daniel that his prayer had been answered immediately, he says the prince of Persia, this was a demonic spirit, had resisted Gabriel. It delayed the delivery of God's answer. And so through it all, Daniel remained faithful and he prayed. So as you think in terms of praying, again, I'll ask you, how long have you been praying for something? And are you willing to persist in it? I showed you that journal earlier with Kim mentioned there. And as you look over to some of the things I was praying for her, uh, one of the things you see, January 17, 1987, is to get over mono. Now, in the 30 years that we've been married, my wife has had mono more than seven times that we know of. She has a condition called chronic Epstein-Barr virus. And what that means is she is unable to develop the immunity to mono. Most people get it once and then it's done. She's been clinically tested and had tartars off the chart numerous times that have said, you have mono. And so she has this this physical condition where she can, uh, chronic fatigue syndrome, if she overdoes it, she can get mono again. So does that mean God is not good, that he hasn't answered our prayers when we ask for health? No, that's not what it means. You see, I prayed that she would do well in school. That's because uh, she needed to finish college so we could get married in 1988. Uh, That prayer was answered. Uh, Grow in Christ, Uh, direction in life, a Christ-centered relationship. I'm still praying 30 years into our marriage for these things. Uh, Another health issue you see there is her jaw would heal. Uh, She has TMJ. Uh, She has problems with her jaw. She used to uh, be a state flautist, but she can't play the flute anymore because her jaw. Again, these are things that God, we've asked him to heal, but he's not done it. And you've heard me talk about the more than a decade of infertility we went through. So again, does that mean God is not faithful? That God doesn't answer prayers? Some of you here have been praying for physical healing in your life or for loved ones. And it doesn't mean God doesn't care. It doesn't mean that God isn't there or that he uh, is silent. Sometimes God allows hard things to happen in our lives or to continue for his glory so that he will be exalted. Think of the Apostle Paul. Paul prayed multiple times for a physical ailment that he terms the thorn in his flesh to be removed. He said he prayed three different times that God would remove it. And rather than God removing the ailment, what he did instead was give Paul the grace he needed to go through, whatever that physical challenge was, the grace he needed to endure it. In 2 Corinthians 12, 7, Paul praises God for the wisdom in not removing this limitation. He says it kept Paul from exalting himself. And sometimes what we do is what we go through is for the purpose of exalting God. Both us saying, when I am weak, you are strong. Or sometimes it's to reflect better the glory of who Jesus is. Remember, Jesus is called the suffering servant. And people say, I want to be like Christ. And he says, sometimes that means you have to look like my son. 
there was a, a blog entry from a lady who had been shopping at the Dollar Tree. And she said as she was standing in line, there was uh, a young family in front of her. There was a mother with two kids, and there was a long line. And if you've ever been standing in line with kids, one was a teenager, the other was a toddler, and the kids were getting real fussy, especially the toddler. And, and the, the teenager was holding a bag of glow sticks. And she said the mother took the bag and ripped it open, took out one glow stick, handed it to the toddler. All of a sudden, the baby was happy. He's, you know, waving it around. He's enjoying it. They check out, and they're about to go out of the store. And as they're doing so, the teenage boy reaches down and takes the glow stick from his little brother. And, the kid, of course, the kid starts screaming bloody murder. And before the mom can turn and say, what are you doing? He, he breaks it, and he shakes it up, and then he hands it back to his little brother. As he does that, suddenly the glow stick, as you know, starts to emit this this neon color. And as they walk out into the evening darkness, this kid is happy. Oh, look at the stick. And, and, you know, the, the son, the teenager, turns to his mom and says, I had to break it so he could experience the full effect. And sometimes, friends, God breaks us so that we can glow. Sometimes we're very content just saying, God, I I want my life to be easy. No problems, no difficulties, no struggles, and we're content to be. But what God chooses to do with some of us is break us so we can glow. So we can reflect more clearly who his son, Jesus Christ, is. Sometimes you get sick. Sometimes you lose a job. Sometimes there is other suffering that happens in your life. And in those times, it doesn't mean that God isn't good. It means that God is at work in ways where he may be breaking you so that you will glow more brightly and reflect his son. As we're talking about sickness and suffering here, I I need to just say something about those who have probably heard from somebody, well, you're sick and not healed because you lack faith. That's just bad theology. Yes, I'm aware that the Bible says that if we lack faith, that if we have the faith of a mustard seed, we can command a mountain, it'll be thrown into the ocean. The Bible tells us there are times we can have our prayers hindered because of some sin in our life. It warns us as men, husbands, uh, treat your wives in a certain way so you don't hinder your prayers. But for anybody here who's been told, as I have and my wife has and others, that you are not healed because you lack faith, that's just bad theology. Because look at the life of the Apostle Paul that we just talked about. Did Paul lack faith? He was a man of faith, and yet he prayed numerous times, God removed this physical ailment, and God didn't do it. And on the other end of the spectrum, there are times where people say, I don't have enough faith, and God worked in ways to heal anyway. An example is in Mark 9, 24. There, there was a father of a demon-possessed child who asked Jesus to heal his child, and, and Christ asked him, do you believe I can do it? And the man's response was, Lord, help my unbelief. No, Jesus, I don't have enough faith. Help my unbelief. And the scriptures tell us that Jesus healed that child. God is a God who's not only able to help us in our lack of faith, but he's able to help us even when we don't even know how to pray. As we're talking about praying today, some of you have come to the end of your rope in some situation. You're flat on your back, you're looking up, and you can barely whimper the word help. You're saying, I don't even know how to pray anymore. I don't know what to ask God for. And the good news is that Romans 8.26 tells us this. 
In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for our own understanding. In those times where you don't even know how to pray, the Holy Spirit, God himself, knows your need, and it says he is interceding in ways that you and I cannot even understand. As you think about what you're praying for, are you pushing? Are you praying until something happens? Are you continuing in it? Sometimes doors open easily, but other times we have to push hard. There are times that we have been praying for something and that door just doesn't seem to budge and you're ready to give up. But he says, push. Keep praying. Keep after it. I'm not telling you that as you persevere in prayer that every single thing you've ever asked for is going to be answered. You know what I found is sometimes God does not change the circumstances, but something prayer always does is it changes me. Prayer does not always change the circumstances, but it will change you and I as believers. It will change us as we pray. I talked about my father. You know, I hated my dad. I didn't want to pray for him. The prayers I prayed were more along the lines of the imprecatory psalms of the Old Testament that were for vengeance and justice. And, and, and God changed my heart as I prayed for my father. And God will change your heart as you pray for circumstances. Sometimes he doesn't change the circumstance, but he will change you. That's what happened with Paul. He didn't find healing from his physical affliction, but he stopped praying for that. And instead, he began thanking God. He praised him for the reason he gave him the ailment. And he praised him for the peace that God gave to him, something that would help Paul later, as Paul would be in a Roman prison facing death for his faith. And as he was there, Philippians chapter 4 tells us that Paul wrote these words, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. He says, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God that surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Prayer does not always change the circumstances, but it will change us. It will give us God's peace in the midst of the storm. As you think about what you're facing today, what is it? What are the giants in your life right now? Is it the loss of a job? Is it news of some terminal illness or sickness for you or a loved one? Is there some other circumstance, an unknown fear that you don't know how to deal with? As you look back at Luke 18, 1, remember it says to pray and not lose heart. That word meant not to be afraid. To pray and not lose heart. When we face things that are hard, if you try to carry them alone, it's a heavy burden. But when we turn to God, as we give them to him, as Philippians 4 said, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. As we talk about persevering with God in prayer, there's a, a great example of what this looks like in Genesis chapter 32. In Hosea 12, 4, as it looks back on Jacob wrestling with God, it speaks of how he wrestled literally in prayer with the Lord. And in Genesis 32, you'll remember, there was a guy by the name of Jacob. He was later renamed Israel. 
after this event. But he had a brother named Esau, and Jacob, the name literally means a schemer, a supplanter. And he'd spent his whole life coming up and concocting schemes to, to cheat other people. He had stolen his brother's birthright. He had done all kinds of things, and Esau said, I'm going to kill you. And there came a point where Jacob was returning back home and he was going to face Esau and he was afraid because he remembered his brother's threats the last time they had seen each other. And so he, he did all kinds of things as a schemer, sending gifts ahead and his family ahead and on and on. And finally, he was bringing up the rear. But as he was coming, he was fearful. And it says he went to God in prayer and he literally wrestled with God all night. There was a, an angel of the Lord. Many theologians believe the pre-incarnate Christ appeared. And Jacob got into a physical wrestling match with the Lord. And, and his, this, this picture of persisting in prayer. And as, as day was about to break, the Bible says that we can't look upon God and see his face or we'll be consumed. And so the angel of the Lord told him, you need to let me go. And Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The Bible says that he kind of had God in a full Nelson. Now, it's kind of like scripted wrestling that you see on TV today. I'm, I'm sorry if you're a fan of that. Don't write me emails. Um, but when it says that Jacob kind of had God in this, this hold, God could have thrown him aside like a wet rag. But God let him persevere with him to give him this picture of wrestling in prayer. And it says that right before he released him, he gave Jacob what he wanted. He blessed him. He said, your name is no longer Jacob, which meant a schemer, a grabber. But from now on, your name is Israel, which means he fights or persists with God. And right before God let him go, you'll remember it says that he reached down and he touched the, the, the socket of his hip. And it says that it went out. God gave him a physical limp the rest of his life. And I think it's a beautiful picture of how when we've encountered the living God, we never walk the same again. And it also changed the way that this man, Jacob, now Israel, lived his life. He was used to running ahead of God and doing his own thing his own way. But now he walked with a limp. He was slowed down and he had to truly walk with, with the living Lord. And as we end today, I want you to think about where you are in your life. What, what a need is that maybe you walked in here with this morning. Maybe something new. Maybe news that you received yesterday or even this morning. Is there some need you need to bring to God in prayer? Is there something you've been wrestling with God in prayer and you were about to give up? Is God calling on you? Is he reminding you to, to continue persevering? Next time you see a door and it says push on it, Use that as a reminder to you to pray until something happens. Every time you see push, use that as a reminder of some need, something you need to be praying for. As you think of what it is that you need to pray for, that you need to persevere in prayer, I want you to remember God is a good God. He is a loving Father. He desires to give gifts to his sons. And the greatest gift that he ever gave to us, the greatest need any of us will ever face in our life was that for a Savior. And we're now coming to the communion table. And as we come to the communion table, it reminds us of how God met that need, of how God was faithful to us. He, he knew that without sending his own son to us, that we would be lost for all eternity. And so it says he loved us. And he gave us his son. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, 
that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have eternal life. He gave his son to us because he knew we had a penalty that we owed, a penalty called death. Romans says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So as we come to the communion table, you're going to see two elements. Maybe you're new to church, you've never been in here, and you're wondering, what is this communion that we're about to do? Communion is a reminder to us of what God did for us. The bread speaks of the body of Christ, how God took on flesh and blood. He left his throne in heaven to come to earth, to walk among us, to ultimately go to the cross to die, to give his life. And the cup represents his blood, his blood that was poured out and shed for us. And so as we celebrate communion, what it is is a reminder to us of God's love and his faithfulness, of how he met that need that we had by giving his son. And if you're here and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Bible invites you to come to him, to say, I have a need. And you, Jesus, met it. You washed away my sins through your blood. You, Jesus, became the Lamb of God to take away my sin, as John one twenty nine tells us. And so if you're somebody who recognizes that you need Christ in your life, you realize today that as a sinner, which we all are, that you can't pay that penalty on your own. The Bible says to receive his son. Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you'll be saved. And I invite you to take the bread and the cup and hold them and say to God, I'm accepting your son today. I'm becoming a part of your family. Thank you, Jesus, for dying in my place. And for the rest of us who have already accepted Christ, another part of prayer is called confession. And in 1 John 1.9, we're told if we confess our sins, God is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you have sins in your life that you've not yet confessed, use this time as the elements are passed to confess those to God. We're told to come with clean hands and hearts. So take the bread and the cup, hold these, and we'll celebrate communion together in a moment. Will you serve us, please? We were far from God, separated by our sin. No way home except through that of his son, Jesus. As Christ told us in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. He provided the penalty of sin, the payment, the propitiation for us through his son, Jesus. As Christ died on the cross, he said in John 19.30, it is finished, literally paid in full. What was paid in full was the wages of sin through his son, Jesus Christ. John the Baptist said as he saw Christ coming in John 1.29, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This represents the body of Jesus who died for us, eated in remembrance of him. I said earlier when we pray that we're to pray God's will be done, not ours. The prayer is not about getting done what we want. Rather, it's getting done what God in heaven wants done here on earth. And you'll remember that as Jesus knelt in the Garden of Gethsemane, as he was agonizing in prayer, it says that he prayed to his Father in heaven, God, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. 
Father, if, if there is some other way, don't let me go to the cross and die. And yet as God himself, Jesus knew the plan. He knew he had to go to the cross. He had to die. He had to shed his blood in order to save us. That was how great his love was for us, that he was willing to go through that agony of the crucifixion to die for us. And so as he prayed, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. He then said, but not my will, but your will be done. And Jesus died for us. He washed away our sins through the payment of his blood, the blood of Jesus, drink it in remembrance of him. join me as we pray, please. Lord God, we thank you for your great love for us. Love demonstrated in that you died while we were yet sinners. You gave your life so that we could have the gift of eternal life. As recipients of that grace, as sons and daughters of yours, bought and paid for through the blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ, may we live in a way that reflects that in the world around us. And Father, as we think of the many blessings and privileges we've been given, prayer is one of them. As we get to come and commune with you, the creator of the universe, the God of heaven, you stand waiting to hear from us as our daddy, as children. You call on us to come and pray to you, not just with our needs, but with thanksgiving and even just in fellowship and communion to tell you about our day. Father, would we become people of prayer? Would we be those who who spend more time talking to you, would we be those, Father, who take advantage of that privilege? And Lord, as those who are trophies of your grace, we're in a dark and dying world, and sometimes, Lord, we suffer, we're broken. Would you help us to realize it's so that we can glow, glow for you, to represent your Son, to point the way to life through the Son of life, Jesus Christ. So we thank you again for the many blessings and most of all for our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray and thank you. Amen.